There is nothing we should be quite so grateful for as the last line of a poem that goes, when your own heart asks, be resolved, young samurai, and tell the world what you witness here today. notion of enlightenment is ephemeral, but the empire seeks it anyway. Countless individuals search, and each comes away with a different lesson. Welcome to the sixth episode explaining Legend of the Five Rings on the It's a Mimic channel. I'm Megan, and with me again is Roman. In this episode, we're going to be diving into the next three of the great clans that inhabit the empire of Rokugan in Legend of the Five Rings. Well, the first clan that we're going to talk about today is the Dragon Clan. Mm -hmm. After the Celestial Tournament was complete, it was noticed that Togashi the Dragon Clan Kami, did not participate. Hida saw this as an act of cowardice, but Hante was wise enough to realize that Togashi refused to fight because he had known all along what the outcome was going to be. Togashi then retreated into the mountains of northern Rokugan to live in quiet solitude and reflection. This, however, did not last, as he was followed there by two men, Miramoto and Agasha. These two became his first followers, and the three built a temple to Amateras with a castle around the temple to protect it. The dragon are mostly identified with gold and dark green accent colors. Over the years, Togashi's followers grew in number. Those seeking his wisdom took the Togashi family name, while those showing any skill with the blade were taken in by Miramoto and trained by him in his Niten technique. Those who showed an affinity for the elements were taught by Agasha. The dragon were secluded, and for the next thousand years they would rarely leave their mountains to interfere with the politics and events of the other clans. While the dragon are seen as reclusive and aloof by most clans, they understand the necessity of acting only when the time is right. The families of the dragon clan are the Togashi, the Kitsuki, the Miramoto, and the Tomori. Unlike his brothers and sisters, Togashi never took a bride nor had any children. That, until recently, the Empire knew of. The Togashi family, which bears his name, is a family not in blood in a traditional sense. The Togashi are the Iseizumi, or the tattooed men, which come to follow Togashi and now his grandson Satsu, though they were not descended from the dragon Kami himself. Togashi used his own blood to give power to their tattoos, so they are nevertheless connected by Togashi's blood. When a samurai takes the Togashi name, they drop the name that they were born with to show that they are no longer the person they once were. The Kitsuki family. They were often called the hospitable dragons, and served as diplomats and magistrates for the dragon clan. Although they branched out from a Shugenja family, they had no Shugenja school. Instead, the Kitsuki taught the Kitsuki method, a unique technique that utilized perception, awareness, and intuition to aid in solving a crime. The Miramoto family. The Miramoto family was the largest family of the dragon clan, and comprised the the Miramoto family was the largest family of the Dragon Clan and comprised the majority of their bushi. They were founded by the Yojimbo of Togashi, Miramoto, who was one of the most brilliant duelists that Rokugan had ever known. The Miramoto were also fierce advocates of the Niten two-sword style, as their founder Miramoto was the one who invented it. And the Tomori family. The Tomori family was founded after the Agasha family left the dragon. There was a small group that still remained, led by Agasha Tomori. For almost 20 years, the phoenix and the dragon each had a family named Agasha, but that changed at the end of the War of Spirits when Emperor Toturi I renamed the dragon Agasha as the Tomori family in 1150. Amazing. I know, it's a lot. <laughs> so technically though, like, Togashi inherently are monk-esque, right? Yes, uh, they behave 
very similarly to the way that their founder did, whereas they seek enlightenment above all else. They spend a lot of time in meditation. Yeah. Yeah. They are a monastic order more than they are a traditional family. Yes. Yeah. So just, and then like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, which family inspires you the most? Well. I mean, we're both dragons, so it's like. <laughs> yeah, but we're both very different kinds of We dragons. are very different dragons, the, yes. the cool thing I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to geek for a quick second. I'm probably also not going to play favorites for too long. But yeah. the, the thing that attracted me to the dragon in the first place was that they are the only family whose whole vibe is do whatever you want so long as it is honorable. Mm -hmm. Find your own path to honor. Find your own path to enlightenment. Just, you know, serve the empress and serve the empire. Like, in terms of the shit that I do on my <laughs> daily... <laughs> like, the Togashi has always really, really appealed to me. Yeah. Um, I've studied martial arts for many years. I'm covered in tattoos. I love to sit around and hit people with riddles and, you know, be a little bit elusive in the way that I speak. Mm -hmm. Like, as soon as I read in depth about the Togashi, I immediately knew exactly where I belonged. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the, the Togashi family is good soup. Yeah. Uh, my first character was a Tamori. And that was what I identified with a lot when I first started playing L5R. But we actually had the conversation recently where technically I feel like I fit more under the Katsuki, which I've gotten a chance to play before once. Not not my character inherently, but I was playing close to one. Yeah. 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 And uh, I learned a lot more about that family and their processes. And I really think that I'm between the two. Yeah. Like, I'm a blend of the two. So, yeah. Some some days a bit Tamori, some days a bit Katsuki. <laughs> Some days it may be shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, like, yeah, I I feel like you are definitely a Katsuki. You are one of the more hospitable people that I know. I mean, I don't know if this is going to ruin your internet persona. But... I have a very strong internet persona, so be careful what you say. Okay, well, um, yeah, you're, you're definitely someone who... Nah, I'm going to leave it alone. Mm. Yeah, we'll, we'll, let, we'll let the internet draw their own conclusions. Uh, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, because at the, I was also going to say, uh, I recently played a Miramoto. Mm -hmm. And I also recently played at a table where, like, in the game that I ran for my team, uh, Amiramoto was present. And I really enjoyed it. Like, it, it's nice just to have a militant family around. Yep. Where that is their duty, and that is just, that is what their whole thing is. Their whole vibe is, yeah, I'm going to do the things. That's literally my job. Yeah, we're here to beat ass and chew bubblegum, and we're all out of bubblegum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and mechanically, they're a lot of fun when it comes to, like, combat, yeah. right? Which I find... Sometimes playing a magical character or, um, you know, like a Shugenja, it, it's one of those ones where sometimes when you go into battle, you have to be more mentally strategic. Whereas with a Miramoto, it's basically, I hit the thing and my benefits and family clan shit makes me hit better. Yeah. That's all you really do. Well, and the, the beauty of the Miramoto family is that they are also a, they're an earth family. Yeah. So it makes them really tanky and it makes, it gives them a lot of survivability. Yeah. Because it's not just, okay, I get hit and I don't have to worry about getting hit. It's, I get hit and I hit back harder. Yeah. No, it's true. Um, so I feel like sometimes when we talk about D&D, &D, we say, like, play a warrior or a fighter for your first game. Because they're mechanically very simple. And they have, again, survivability. You're not going to have a dead character in the first round. Like, you're, you're going to live for a little bit longer than you probably should as a new player. Yeah. 
I feel like Miramoto is that for the Dragon Clan. Yeah. Yeah. Play, playing uh, playing any of the Earth-based Bushi, yeah. um, two of which we're going to be discussing today, uh, will definitely keep you alive longer. Yeah. The Miramoto are awesome because they, they don't just have survivability, they also have some cool things that they get to do in terms of uh, being good duelists and being able to... Uh, sort of shirk off some spellcasting things. They have a lot of interesting things in their kit that makes them more than just a, I swing my sword and I hit the guy hard. Yeah, it, it's like the whole concept of like, it's easy mechanically when you first start, but as you build it, it gets more complex and more interesting to play in a battlefield type of where battle and or dueling or things like that are going to arise. Yeah. If you're playing a Miramoto in a court game, you are literally standing there staring at the sky until someone tells you, does yes, you can stab the man. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the kind of Miramoto you're playing. Fair enough. Speaking of which, how would you play a character from this clan? I play a lot of my dragon as being um, elusive, as being philosophers, as being a little bit otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the nature of the clan, where it encourages people to seek enlightenment, it encourages their samurai to be knowledgeable of many things. Mm -hmm. You will find warriors who are also painters. You will find painters who also uh, practice kata. It is the type of clan where there is a lot more overlap with those sorts of things because it is, I think the, the dragon are most in line with how our world is. Yeah. Where you have the freedom to be who you are as long as you adhere to certain social standards. There'll be a twat waffle and you'll be okay. I mean, I've, I've played a couple dragon bad guys and even like most of my dragon bad guys have come across as being, well, this is a pretty sensible, reasonable person. Yeah. And so I have to do the Marvel thing where I just like execute somebody in front of the players and it's like, oh, <laughs> okay, well, I guess we can't like this guy anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I remember I played my Tagashi in the campaign I played for my group as literally a server dude. <laughs> like put on the Chad voice and everything. Like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And you know what? My other dragon character fell for him, so that's all I needed in life. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely played the the Kitsuki surfer dude. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, for, for those of you who have seen uh, Dirk Gently's, um, it's a detective show about this dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He just sort of like stumbles across the answer. Yeah. Um, that's how I played him, where he's just like, oh, yeah, I just happened to figure things out. I'm in the right place at the right time. But he had that surfer dude like, yeah, like... I'm not stressed. Why are you stressed? Yeah, man, don't be upset. Why don't it's we cool, go for a cool. walk? I'm yeah. sure there's going to be something cool around this. Like, <laughs> just constantly, like, fumbling his way into things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had a, I, I had a lot of fun playing that in a campaign of such seriousness. Mm-hmm. I felt like having a Tagashi just running around add a little bit of, like, an aloofness, a little bit of life to the game, and a little bit more, like, I don't know, someone you can interact with that isn't going to yell at you for looking at them weirdly or bowing incorrectly, like. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as the, t- the Takashis. Um, as a storyteller, how would you fit this clan specifically into your narrative? Well, it depends on what your story needs. If yeah. your story needs a bit of brevity, then, yeah, you can play your dragon as a way of giving your characters a bit of downtime, a way Mm -hmm. of relaxing a little bit, a way of reminding them that things aren't as serious or as important as they think they are. 
Uh, if your story needs a motivator, then you can play your dragon as someone to, to rally behind. Mm -hmm. Because they're the one who sees what is going on and says, guys, let's put away all of these other things that are distracting us right now. Yeah. And focus on our goal. And follow, the, follow our path. Yeah, right? put away the petty shit and get the job done. I feel like the dragon are the most flexible in terms of where you can put them. Yeah. Based exclusively on which family you're deciding to put into the game. They can fill almost any role from, uh, you know, good friend to arch nemesis to comedic relief to... Full-on big bad evil guy if you wanted to. I've I've run some dragon BBEGs and mm -hmm. one of, some of the most fun that I have seen my players have at one of one of our tables was uh, facing off against a dragon clan champion who uh, believed that his path was the true path and wasn't willing to be persuaded otherwise. Yeah, but that's how they are. A little bit headstrong. Th that's how we are sometimes. A little bit aloof, you know. It's a good balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I agree that I feel you can plop the dragon in anywhere where you kind of want to. Because of the diversity of their, their families and their clans. Like, you have the aloofness of having, like, the monk Togashis, which don't necessarily fit within the Empire in a very specific place. Then you have your investigators. Like, if, you're, you, if you want to play a fucking investigation game, you can throw some Kitsuki in there. If you want to play a full, like, their Shugenja, we didn't actually mention, but Tamoris uh, are chemists. They bottle spells. They they make potions. They, like, they're like, chemists, basically. Yeah, the, the, the Tomori are very much about the... They're the science-y spellcasters within the Empire. Yeah. They look at the world based on what it is made of, and they try to pull it apart yeah. and figure out how they can put it back together again. Exactly. Like, their inquisitiveness is about, um, yeah, the, the chemical makeup of things. Like, they have... They invented uh, Rokugani fireworks. Yeah. Right? By reverse engineering uh, Gaijin black powder. Yeah. Right? Like, that's what the Tomori do, and so you can f run into a lot of interesting things where there are Tomori just up to science-y hijinks. Yeah. And showing your players and characters, depending on what part of the timeline you're playing in, like, oh, this is the invention of the phonograph. Mm -hmm. This is the invention of the printing press. Yeah. Because a Togashi decided, sorry, a Tomori decided that they were going to fool around with this one thing. Like, Bring some shit. Yeah. Surprise, I made a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's what drew me to Tamori originally, was like, it didn't matter what the result was, I'm going to find a result. I'm going to find the same result that you got, but I'm going to find it in a different way. Yeah. And I feel like I've lived my life that way in a very long time, as taught by like, the, the family I was raised by, is very much, who gives a shit if it's the most complicated way to get to the answer? If the answer is the same, who gives a shit? Yeah. So, and I've always lived a life of I will probably do things in the most complicated way, but it's because then I could do things simplified later on if I feel like it. So, you, your family are Tamori. 100%. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> what do we got next? Well, the next clan that we're going to discuss are the Unicorn. Yeah. The Unicorn are the finest cavalry in all of Rokugan. They were considered barbarians by most of the other Rokugani clans. They had different customs than the other Rokugani clans as a result of their time spent outside the bounds of the Empire. Mm. They used gaijin weapons like scimitar, wore fur, had mobile tents called yurts, and even shook hands as a greeting instead of the Rokugani bow. The unicorn is mostly identified with purple, white, and gold colors. Uh, they spent 800 years outside the Empire exploring the Burning Sands and other lands. And Rokugan's cultured society believed that in spite of the two centuries since their return, they have still not relearned the civilized ways of their motherland. The clans could not be more wrong, however. 
The unicorn know the ways of their cousins, but choose to follow their own path. Influenced by their contact with Gaijin cultures, because of this, they were held in low regard by many, but nonetheless were feared for their military might. The families of the unicorn are the Horiuchi, the Ide, the Iuchi, the Moto, the Shinjo, and the Utaku. The Horiuchi family was the newest family of the unicorn, having been founded just before the Scorpion clan coup. Because of their short history, the Horiuchi was also the smallest family among the unicorn. They were the second Shugenja family and the guardians of the Shinomen Mori, which is this haunted forest on one of the corners of the empire where a bunch of weird shit happens. We love a good haunted forest. The Ide family. The Ide were founded by Ide, <laughs> Shinjo's most valuable ally once she entered the foreign cultures of the Burning Sands. He adapted to the changing cultures and customs with a skill absolutely unparalleled. His descendants still do the same, acting as the clan's diplomats and ambassadors to the other clans, to the imperial court. The Iuchi family. During their journeys abroad, Iuchi learned many of the magics of the land he visited, and as a result, the unicorn's magic was often seen as dangerously gaijin in nature, especially in their use of magical items. The Iuchi attempt to hide this from their xenophobic cousins as much as possible. The Mei Shoto, a magic that owed nothing to the celestial order, was one step away from the order, and the Iuchi lost a little of their connection to Rokugan as a result suffering a slight separation from their heritage. The Moto family. The Moto were founded upon the death of Moto, the first Ujikai tribesman who swore allegiance to Shinjo when he learned of their divinity. As such, the Moto are the only family of the Unicorn Clan to have come from outside of Rokugan. They became the right hand of Shinjo, the shock cavalry that we used to break enemy lines during battles. Moto samurai valued power and precision, which required order and discipline. The warriors under the command of Moto officers must perform rigorous drills and other military exercises on a regular basis. The Shinjo family was formed by the Kami Shinjo. Despite their deific lineage, the Shinjo do not currently control the clan. Over the centuries, the descendants of Shinjo allowed the Kolat to infiltrate the clan to a point unparalleled in Rokugan. The secret society controlled the clan through its champion, who sat as one of the Kolat's ten masters. When Shinjo was freed from her prison and returned to Rokugan in 1132, she saw the influence of the Kolat among her descendants and personally slew every Kolat agent she discovered, greatly reducing the numbers of the Shinjo, <laughs> as well as shattering the Unicorn Clan's confidence in its leading family. The Otaku family. The Otaku family was founded by Otaku Shiko, daughter of Otaku, a follower of the Kami Shinjo, a skilled warrior, and the Unicorn Clan Thunder on the Day of Thunder. The family were later renamed the Utaku family during Otaku Shengchi's reign. In everything they did, the Utaku were fast, intense, and convinced. They had a reputation of swift and deadly warriors, which relied on their intense training, which few could match. Is this one of the clans that has one of the most families? The unicorn and the crab are the most probably family. tied for most families, and yeah. we get them all in this episode. Yeah, love that. Love that for yeah. us. <laughs> I'm so excited to go through, like, the zillion crab families. <laughs> so, um, there are a couple things that we discussed a little bit earlier. Yeah. One of which being the Burning Sands. Uh, so, there is a adjacent Arabic-inspired nation mm -hmm. to Rokugan uh, known as the Burning Sands, and... 
for a sizable chunk of the Unicorn Clan history, they were charged with going and seeing what existed outside of Rokigan's borders. And because you can't ride horses across water, yeah. they decided to follow the landmass as far as they could. They ended up in the Burning Sands and, as we discussed earlier, picked up a tribe to join their clan, learned a lot of the Burning Tribe's cultures and traditions and behaviors, and returned to the Empire changed by that. So, the Unicorn are the only family within the Empire that eats red meat. Yeah. They're the only family in the Empire that wears leather or fur. Uh, because dead animal flesh is a bit of a weird taboo within Rogan. Yeah. Touching dead things is a no-no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're like, whatever, man. <laughs> yeah, they're like, eh. Someone else did it and they were fine. <laughs> we, yeah, like we did this for 200 years and we're not horrible monsters, so we're going to keep doing it. Yeah. I hope y'all are cool. <laughs> So if you were to go into the Burning Sands and find this tribe, would they identify at all with the Unicorn Clan or know who they are? Well, or... no, so like all of the Ujikai joined the Unicorn Got and you. became Moto. Yeah. Right? So the Moto family are all descendants of this Ujikai tribe. Yeah. Well, out of all those families, which which family inspires you the most? Um, I really like the Ide yeah. as a family. Uh, the idea of... We adapt to situations and civilizations really quickly. We learn customs really easy. We act as mediators between like our people who don't know and your people who don't know us to sort of bridge that gap. Like that's something that really appeals to me in terms of um, you know role. How about you? Which of the the different families do you like the most? Uh, well, the Moto inspires me a lot, but it's more along the lines of because they would have a very specific role that is sought out by the Empire. Yeah. Like, if you need an army with XYZ proper, like, accoutrements, like, you are going to go to the Unicorn and be like, we want that. And I find that that plays into what makes L5R, like, good, (laughs) is that not only does it play on the fact that, like, uh, player dynamics within your party are required when you look at the Shugenja, like, Bushi and all that kind of stuff, but also each clan provides something different. Yes. So if you are going to go to war, you might want to talk to the Unicorn Clan. Or you might want to talk to this clan or that clan. And I find like the Moto family is very specific to, we're really good at this one fucking thing. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of funny that we have the crab and the unicorn on the same episode. Yeah. Because there was an event that occurred in Rokugani history known as the Khan's March. Mm-hmm. Where one of the Moto Clan champions, after an emperor dies, is like, the throne's empty. Yeah. I'm going to take all of my people and I'm going to go and sit on that throne. And once I put my ass on that throne, you're all going to call me emperor. Yeah. And in something that had never happened in Rokugan history, like he marched through the winter. And within Rokugan, typically summer is the season of war. Yeah. Winter is the season of negotiation, is the season of, of different courts. Yeah. Because there's such a heavy blanket of snow, it's hard to muster armies, mm-hmm. right? So everything slows down in the winter. And I want to say it was Moto Chagatai. Yeah. He just said, fuck it. Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm doing the thing. Yeah, I'm going to kick the doors down. <laughs> and I'm going to sit on your fancy chair, right? So good. It just reminds me of watching the movie like 300 and thinking of like even like Roman history where it's kind of like, I'm sorry, we don't fight during this time frame. I don't know what you're trying to do. Like, yeah, like, what, like no, we don't, we don't fight right now. But if, if we wait, then they're going to be here. No, no, we don't fight right now. Yeah. <laughs> Two months, I'll show up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Time must have been such a weird construct, especially since we come from a time frame where 
everything is immediate and very quick and very like next day. It, it would seem so strange to me to go back to a society in a way that processes things in like, yeah, I'll see you in a month and a half. I'll right. see you in I'll see you in six months because I have to go to this other land and then come back. Like oh, oh, it's so lovely that I got to see you at this summer event. You have business elsewhere for the rest of the year. Cool. I'll see you back here next summer right? at this festival or at this person's wedding or at this thing. Right? <laughs> Maybe I'll send you a letter by pigeon if you're yeah. lucky. Oh, you're going to this castle? I'll make sure I send my correspondence there until I am told otherwise, right? Like, just wild shit like yeah, that. Yeah, it's just such an interesting concept. Uh, how would you play a character from this clan? So, I am ashamed to say that I don't showcase a lot of unicorns in my games. Yeah. Uh, it's something that I'm planning on rectifying in the next game that yeah. I'm going to be running. Uh, I'm going to make that very unicorn-centric. Typically, what I would do with the unicorn, however, is I use them as a way of shaking up social dynamic. Mm -hmm. So you use the that foreign influence of the unicorn to sh uh, shock a lot of your players. Literally shake hands and perhaps kiss babies. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> yes. Right? Um, one thing that the unicorn, strangely enough, are, are known for, in spite of being such a, a powerful militant family, is their benevolence. Mm -hmm. They are super kind to their peasants. They are a clan who goes out of their way to show kindness to any and everyone because they are so strong. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and that's one thing that I love to showcase in my unicorn. Like, even my most battle-hardened unicorn has a soft spot for someone or something and will be emotional. And they get a bit of a pass because a lot of people are just like, oh, okay, it's just unicorns doing unicorn things. They're from the sands, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's okay, whatever. It's just doing unicorn things. Yeah. But it also gives people, not permission, but the opportunity to be more emotional as well. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I did not play my campaign with a unicorn. In fact, I've only ever played in one campaign where there's one unicorn ever played by somebody that we know. And, like, he played it very well, from what I understand and what I now understand about the unicorn. But back then, I had no idea what the unicorn were about. He was just being weird in social engagements. And then, now I know. To be fair, you've played in two games with unicorn-inspired PCs. Yeah. Because there was um, Motobaru, mm -hmm. played, by, played by Mike. Yeah. And there was... Um, Miku Yuki, who used ah, to yes, be yes, yes. a unicorn. unicorn. I remember that because right? you went back to her homelands. Like, oh, yes, 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 yes. So, in both of those instances, you had people who were like very feely in one way or another. They were very feely, but to be fair, we did also burn down one of their temples, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we, we, don't, we don't talk about the burning of the temples. Mm. Um, but no, I agree. I find that the unicorn. The more I read about them and the more I kind of understand them a little bit, it, it definitely feels like you can add a bit of a more of an emotional background. They scream to me a little bit more kind of like, kind of like the dragon, where they're like, yes, I'm going to have a legitimate conversation with you constructs and how I'm supposed to like hold myself as a person aside because the result of this conversation is going to be the same. Yeah. But I need to say what I need to say. It is part of the reason where the Unicorn Clan Champion and the Dragon Clan Champion were betrothed at one time yeah. during the, the true canon. And uh, that ended miserably for everybody involved. <laughs> I can imagine. But even if you look at where they where the Unicorn Lands are in like terms of the map of Rohugan, they t they're kind of just south of the mountains and kind of like in the middle-esque. Mm -hmm. So you could put them 
anywhere within your campaign in the sense of just like travel through the unicorn lands. Yeah. Or like utilize them as a post. They share borders with the lion, which has created a lot of issues in yeah. the past. The lion like to fight with everybody. They, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and, and for good reason, right? Like they are the largest standing army in the empire. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that the people that they pick fight fights with are just going to sit down and take it. Yeah. The unicorn especially. I mean, that brings us to our next question, which is how would you as a storyteller fit this clan into your narrative? I think we already answered that. Yeah, because I was saying, like, like geographically, they are in the middle. So you can utilize them in any way, shape, or form. There are fighters. There are diplomats. They are, like, again, and you can show them a different side of Rokugan by putting mm-hmm. them into your game. Yeah. We haven't really talked about their spellcasters. What makes their spellcasters interesting and weird is that they don't speak to the elemental kami. They create totems mm-hmm. that they cast through. Again, it's a uh, one thing that the unicorn do very well is they break the mold. Yeah. So if you have a bunch of spellcasters in your game and you're looking for a way of sort of challenging them and challenging some of their beliefs, mm-hmm. then yeah, bring an Iuchi or a Horiuchi into things and have them interact with your Shugenja and be like, well, you're having a hard time doing this. Allow me to show you my strange Gaijin sorcery that is going to do this instead, right? <laughs> Shake their faith a little bit. Yeah, it is interesting that we talked like at the beginning of like our series of this about how like serious and rule-bound Rokugan is, but we've now talked about two clans that kind of break that mold, where it's like we have the scientific... Um, uh, like Shugenja that like sciencely find things. They still call upon the kami, but like science is their thing. They're gonna break it apart. And then now the unicorn, which are just like, I'm gonna do a completely different way. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's almost like the more firm the rules are, the more people will find ways to work around them mm-hmm. or work within them. I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna do it my way. Speaking of doing it my way, let's talk about the crab. Oh, boy. (laughs) The crab have the duty of guarding the empire against the horrors of the Shadowlands. The crab clan champion has always been from the Hida family, directly descended from the original Hida. Unlike other clans, the crab do not value sincerity as highly as they do honesty. Carrying this philosophy from the battlefield into the court, the crab view these political situations in very simple terms. The strong have more right to rule than the weak, and those who could not protect the empire did not deserve to rule it. The crab is mostly identified by blue-gray, black, red, and brown colors. Every day the crab warriors give their lives defending the walls so that the other people of the clans might live in peace and security. The crab value this duty above everything, even honor. They might be gruff, unkept, and downright rude at times, but no one questions their strength or courage. The families of the crab include the Hida, the Hiruma, the Kayu, the Kuni, the Toritaka, the Yasuki. So many families. <laughs> so many families. The Hida family were the leaders of the crab. Their family motto was, I will not fail. No other family held their duty in such high regard as the Hida. It was the largest family in the crab and dominated the political life of the clan. They planned military tactics, led their armies, and coordinated the defenses of the clan. The Hiroma family was the first to follow Hida to the Shadowlands. Their devotion to the Hida family often made them bodyguards of the Crab Clan champion. The Hiruma were defeated in the last stand plane by the forces of the Ma, a terrible Oni lord. Kyuden Hiruma, the ancestral home of the Hiruma family, was lost in 716. For centuries, the Hiruma have had no lands to call their own. 
Hirama warriors are grim, determined, and joyless. <laughs> I hate my life, they say. <laughs> Basically. <Yeah. laughs> so there's a Hirama family? The Hiruma, yes. Yeah. Uh, the Kayu are without question the best engineers in Rokugan. They are the architects of the carpenter wall, as well as the catacombs and traps beneath it. If anyone in the Empire wants to build a structure that will rival all others and stand throughout time, they consult a Kayu. Those who dealt with the Kayu are often surprised by how quiet and soft-spoken they are, displaying none of the usual crab temper. They are well-reserved, calm, and acted with a foresight that Shinsei himself would envy. The Kuni were some of the most feared and enigmatic Shugenja in all of Rokugan. The family has devoted themselves to discovering the secrets of the Shadowlands. Their main purpose was the study of the Shadowlands taint, how it worked on living things, and how it might be counteracted providing the clan's warrior families with practical knowledge about the strengths and weaknesses of the monsters of the Shadowlands. They had a strong connection with the element of Earth. Hmm. The Toritaka family were originally the Falcon Clan, but were absorbed into the Crab Clan in the 12th century. The Falcon Clan was founded when the Emperor granted the Toritaka province to the son of Hayabusa, who saved the life of an Imperial advisor from an assassin. Hayabusa's son, Yotogi, quickly discovered that the assassin was a peasant maddened by the possession of an evil spirit. The Falcon found their meaning in life studying the nature of ghosts and other supernatural occurrences, which led to a high demand for their services, especially among the crab, with whom they became quick allies. The Yasuki family were the public face of the crab clan, where the other families all dealt daily with the horrors of the Shadowlands. The Yasuki were the crab's diplomatic and economic engine. Yasuki courtiers were seen in courts representing the crab much more than any of the other families, and their merchants were by far the most crafty in all of Rokugan. The Yasuki family were originally a family of the crane, but broke with the crane in the 4th century and were quickly incorporated into the crab clan. There you go. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> Which of these million dollar families do you enjoy? Oh, buddy. I, I have a lot of love for all the crab families. Yeah. Like... The dragon are my absolute favorite. The crab are my, like... I will use the crab in so many situations. Yeah. Like... I say most of these family names I've seen in your campaigns. Of course. Yeah. I, I love Hida's. Who doesn't love a Hida? Who doesn't love a good fucking Hida? <laughs> um, when I look at the crab as a whole, they're the Night's Watch. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, the, the crab's whole duty is to protect the Empire from this horrible horde of monstrosities that exist just to the south. And every part of the clan exists to make that happen. The Hida are your shock troops. The Hirama are your scouts. The Kayu are the ones who provide everybody with the appropriate siege and artillery to make it happen. The Kuni are the researchers who tell you, yeah, these things fuck up goblins, these things fuck up ogres, these things fuck up demon lords. The Toritaka are a set of scouts that have the ability to interact with spirits and, like, uh, in interrogate them and coerce them into be behaving properly. And then the Yasuki hang out in the courts being like, yeah, we need more money so that we can continue to fund the war to the south. Yeah. Like, the whole clan works as this well-oiled machine. It's its own economy. And I, I adore it. Yeah. Like... In, in my game, I have added in an additional crab family because you can never have enough crab families. Fair enough. Uh, and it is the Poe family. Mm -hmm. So the Poe are a family of noodle vendors and gourmands. They're cooks. Yeah. And so their whole thing is that they were taken in by a Yasuki patron who was just like, well, we need somebody who's able to, to feed our clan. And that 
eventually ballooned and springboarded into feeding the empire because as an offshoot of the Yasuki family, money for their family is money for the crab. So you have a Poe vendor on every corner. They're, they're, honestly... It's your Rokugan Starbucks. It is Rokugan <laughs> Starbucks, but it's just noodles. There's a, there is a Poe in every city, and they act as spies mm-hmm. as much as they act as merchants. Oh, yeah, man. Right? You talk to your noodle vendor, you know? You always like... talk to your noodle vendor. <laughs> it's the equivalent of you talk to your bartender, but you talk to your noodle vendor. But to <laughs> total wind it back a little bit, which of the families inspires me the most? I love the Yasuki. Mm-hmm. I ran a whole game around the Yasuki uh, with the idea of the, the great Yasuki lords, the five families, all trying to decide who was going to be the next Yasuki daimyo. Yeah. And uh, it was probably one of my favorite clan-specific games to run mm-hmm. because it ended up highlighting uh, the son of a previous uh, PC. Mm-hmm. and allowed him to sort of rise to power through the help of the PCs. Fair enough. Yeah. like them. Which, uh, which of the clans do you like? <sighs> I was going to say the families? Yusuke, but like... You're also, yeah, you're Yusuke But No, 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 right? but okay, to be fair though, I do like the, the Kuni because when I was researching a lot about like the Shadowlands and like Taint and things like that for my campaign that I was playing in, their family came up quite a lot. Because they're, like, the internalized researchers. So even, like, when I was in the Phoenix Lands and in the library, a lot of the books they were finding were written by them. Yeah. So I used them a lot in my campaign for that. Um, But, yeah, other than that, like, the Yasuki, I enjoy. If I was going to play a court game, I would definitely throw, like, the Yasukis in there. It just makes sense to me. But I have a habit of running my Yasuki as the Italian mob. Yeah. Like, a, a little bit of, like, odd side tangent. I run all of the crab as being Sicilian yeah. or like, you know, Italian American. So there's constantly this, anytime that you interact with a crab, they're either from Jersey or they're full blown Italian or like, that's just, <laughs> unfortunately, that is just what I have associated with them. Like yeah. they're the mob. That's what they do. Sometimes they need to break some skulls. Sometimes they need to come and kiss your baby. Like that's just how they roll. But that sense of family within the crab and then like that they kind of like the crab protect them their own mm-hmm. is what that there's nothing stronger than family exactly there's yeah. nothing stronger than family and <laughs> the crab all lean into that in that like oh well you know have you eaten today oh no where have you been oh when was the last time you spoke to your mom like that's how i run my i was my waiting crab. for you to fall into a jersey accent there for a hot i second. was about to but <laughs> <laughs> you're like i don't know if i don't put that on the internet yet <laughs> yeah it's okay we can we, we can wait for a live play <laughs> fair enough I mean, you just spoke a little bit to how would you play one of these characters in your in your games, but yeah. <laughs> Italian yeah. mob family, oh, New dude. Jersey. <laughs> they're they're all they're all mob family, whether it's like old, old world Italian or new world Italian. But that idea of like it's family first, yeah, right. Everything that we do, we do for the empire, but at the same time, we need to protect our own and we need to protect each other yeah. so that we can continue to do that. You know, oh, we have to go, you know, talk to Uncle Jiro before we can, you know, go on this business because, you know, if Uncle Jiro is going to give us his blessing and his blessing usually comes with a bunch of connections, a couple handshakes. And before you know it, you're fully equipped to do this thing because Uncle Jiro understands that whatever it is you're going to do, you're doing it for the clan. You're doing yeah. it for the empire, right? For the family. For the familia, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I also feel like it would come with the thing, like the sense of you wouldn't bring a new person into your party unless they were vetted by somebody that uh, 
someone from the crab, crab clan knew. Uh-huh. So if you're playing a crab in a group of other folks and from other clans and all of a sudden you're like, oh, this NPC, let's bring them along. I feel like your crab would be the one being like, I need to write a letter and I'll get back to you in a week because... I don't know if we can trust this schmo to come into this group right Yeah, I want to ask somebody about somebody. <laughs> I'm going to ask my guy about this guy that you've brought in. Like, I feel like it needs to be... There is no... The, you don't want to... Your family secrets are kept secret, right? Uh, well, like, in, in that regard, we're sort of... We're creeping into scorpion territory. Yeah. But the scorpion and the crab have similarities in that regard. Loyalty to their own. Yeah. And, you know, duty to their own. Um... I, I play the crab less suspicious because mm-hmm. the, the crab will just ask you, yeah. right? If a crab wants to know something about you, they'll push you up against the wall and they'll say, hey. Hey, man. <laughs> what's your, Yeah, what's your deer? Where are you from? Huh? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah where's, where's your mama live at? Where's where's your auntie live at? Okay, cool. You're cool. I heard about those people. <laughs> you lie to me, people. I break your fingers. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you lie to me, you're, you're not going to be walking out of here, all right? <laughs> like, they, they don't have the time <laughs> to write a letter to ask for people. They're going to ask you right then and there <laughs> with a bat pressed against your ribs. Fair enough, fair right? enough. I accept. Um, as a storyteller, how would you fit this clan into your narrative? I usually run them as my, like underworld enforcers like my club owners my depending on the game that i'm in um depending on how close you are to the shadowlands or where there's uh you know bad juju going on there will be a crab barracks which is like hey we know this one person who lives in this barracks fuck we have to go in here being prepared for a fight Mm -hmm. so they can act as a bit of a skill check yeah where it's like Let's try and not get into a fight, or if we get into a fight, let's get prepared to get our teeth kicked in. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to say, I would bring them into my campaigns as the muscle for something, yeah. right? Like, if you need, to, if you have the fear that you're going to get into a scuffle, bring a crab with you, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I love running them as bouncers. Yeah. Because it's, rock up to this place, oh, there are two Hita here. What the fuck? This is supposed to be a mantis establishment. Yeah, they hired Hita. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fancy hotel. If you don't quiet down, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if you don't leave, there's a Hita at the door. <laughs> 100%. Love it. All right, so so far we have covered six of the Empire's great clans, but there are also minor clans in the Empire. Yes, there are. For a couple of the clans that we've spoken about, uh, specifically the Crab, we discuss the Falcon Clan, mm-hmm. or the Toritaka. And there are many different minor clans throughout the Empire, Yeah, many of which are elevated to clan status as a product of performing a service for the Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big differences between being one of the great clans and being a minor clan is... Um, heritage, right? So all of the great clans have one of the one of the Kami, one of the original Kami, as their founder. Mm-hmm. In this episode specifically, we have the dragon founded by Togashi. We have the unicorn founded by Shinjo. We have the crab founded by Hida. Mm-hmm. All of the minor clans were elevated to clan status due to a service that they performed for the Empress. So the Toritaka, as a product of discovering an assassin were elevated to clan status. Some of the big minor clans, the most notable, are the Mantis, the Sparrow, and the Tortoise. The Mantis clan, which we will cover next episode, actually, were elevated as a product of bullying the Empire Mm -hmm. into making them a minor clan. 
the Sparrow are an offshoot in some ways of the Crane Clan, who, uh, at least in my canon, I have turned into something a little bit bigger. But their whole thing is that they are storytellers. They are originally tasked with trying to till, like, horrible, untillable land, and they scrape out a life for themselves in, like, a barren part of the Empire. Mm -hmm. The Tortoise are smugglers. But what makes the Tortoise unique is that their clan champion is the Emperor, or the Empress at the time. So in spite of them doing horrible things and interacting with the Gaijin and genuinely being kind of scummy, anyone who speaks poorly of them has to answer to their clan champion, the Emperor or Empress. So all of the minor clans are cool and interesting, but what is unfortunate about them is that they don't have the same backing. They don't have the same um, proliferation that a lot of the great clans do. And as a product of that, it's harder to play minor clan samurai. Mm -hmm. They don't feel as fleshed out. They don't feel as exciting as some of the great clan samurai. But rest assured that they are just as interesting and just as rewarding to play if you're willing to give them a bit of time. Mm -hmm. What's one of your favorite minor clans to utilize in a campaign? Uh, Well, the, the Mantis end up becoming a great clan. Mm-hmm. So, can't pick the Mantis. Uh, I love the Sparrow. Yeah. I have used the Sparrow so much. Mm-hmm. And in, in my own world, the Sparrow are no longer like this sort of small piddly clan. They have, uh, their current clan champion is the product of a marriage between the Sparrow clan champion and an Arabic prince. Or, you know, one of the uh, the sheiks from the Burning Sands. So, they have all of this trade route that they have worked on building up between the Empire and the Burning Sands. And so it's brought them wealth that has nothing to do with the Empire. Yeah. Um, it's brought a lot of animosity from some of the clans who look at this minor clan and say, oh, you know, who are these young upstarts? Who are these these rabble-rousers? All that shit. But, like, they're my favorite minor clan. It's so much to the point where I chose to, you know, beef them up in my own plot. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I played favorites. Fair enough. Um, so sometimes when you're reading about clans and Mon, a lot of the times it'll be a clan that is technically a major clan, but their Mon will be different. So like, in for instance, like foxes, like don't they fall under an actual great clan, but they technically have a different Mon? So the, yeah, the, the fox clan uh, was absorbed into the Mantis clan. Yeah, because... but they but they maintain their Mon. Yes. Yeah. So there was this thing called the Minor Clan Alliance. Yeah. That happened at one point in time. So the the fox, the wasp, the ooh, the fox, the wasp, the centipede, all ended up being absorbed into the mantis when the mantis became a great clan. Yeah. Um. There is the the toku, so the monkey. There are the ichiro, the badger. There's there's tons, tons and tons and tons. Yeah. Most minor clans have a great clan patron or like a great clan ally that sort of. Um, works adjacent to them, mm-hmm. or because their lands are a little bit close, yeah. or because they are descendants of that clan, uh, they have, you know, affinity. Yeah. But uh, the Mantis specifically have the most number of minor clans that have all been Smashed sort of rolled together. together, right? Yeah. Because they're made up of the Wasp, the Mantis, the Fox, and the Centipede. Yeah. Where's the Bat? Uh, the Bat, uh, the Komori, are their own clan. Yeah. That... Their own minor clan. But they exist within Mantis lands. Damn those Mantis. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) Because I was going to say, because one of the ones that I I identify with a lot was I played a lot in the the Fox clan. I played the Kitsune. Kitsune. 
and I had a lot of fun with that. But it's Mantis, technically. They're technically, they're part of a great clan. Yeah, so you can't really say that. But then Bat was the next one that came to mind, when then I was like, well, shit. Well, no, again, the Komori are still their own clan. They're still Bats, right? They are not considered Mantis, but they exist within the Mantis lands. Yeah. Right? Air Shugenja. Yep. Air, Air Shugenja, who can pass messages over long distances... You know, the descendant of this weird pseudo-vampiric creature. <laughs> Which is very moomy. <laughs> L- L5R is an interesting setting. <laughs> it really is. But I think that's the interesting like take to take on when you talk about minor clans and major clans is like, you'll see a moan and you'll be like, sweet, minor clan, because it's not popular. It's like, well, it might actually be attached to something else. Yeah. Right? Because uh, again, moan placement. Yeah. And all of the moans present determine a lot about who you're interacting with. And what with. colors you're wearing. Be- and, because yeah. you could be the third child of, you know, some dragon samurai, and as a way of showing respect to a friend that you have in a minor clan, you, you sorry, as a way, you could be the third child of a dragon samurai, and as a way of them showing respect to one of their friends, they send you off to study with the dragonfly. Mm-hmm. Or they send you off to study with the badger, yeah. right? Because you're not a politically super important. But the bond that they could build between their family and this minor clan by having you train with them is important. Yeah. So, yeah. Mon placement, very, very interesting in terms of <laughs> what very it means. Very strategic. <laughs> well, yeah, it's all very strategic, right? You know, we don't just marry off princesses. We marry off all of our kids. <laughs> In a very strategic court place to kind of nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> you want to have a romance court? Play L5R. Oh, boy. Um, if you could elevate a minor clan into a great clan, says, would it be? Would it be Sparrow? It would be the Sparrow. Yeah. It would probably be the Sparrow. Like, not to plug my own shit, but if it would be any clan, it would be the Wolf. Fair enough, but you built that yourself. You yeah. can't say that. Yeah, it did. Um, <laughs> no, it, it would probably be the Sparrow. Um, again, based on a lot of the things that I have added to the Sparrow... But I, I like the idea that the Sparrow are, like, the most humble clan in the Empire. Mm-hmm. And that in spite of having nothing to their name, and in spite of having no value in their land, they are still able to sort of eke out a place for themselves within the Empire. And I find that fascinating. Yeah. No. I would say the same thing about the the Bat clan, just along the lines of, like, they would provide a very specific service to the Empire. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, again, it comes down to those that political dynamics of if you need something, you need to go to this clan. Therefore, they have the monopoly on that. It's like playing fucking Catan, but, you know, in Rokugan. Yeah. (laughs) No, I feel you. Yeah, I'm just looking at a bunch of the... Other minor clans? Oh, you know what? I would like to change my vote. Vote it. I pick the Oriole clan. Tell me more about that fucking clan. So, the C family. Yeah. They are allegedly some of the best smiths within the Empire. Okay. And their whole thing about their daimyo is that he was taken prisoner by, like, one of the big bads for a bit. And then when he was released, he was so adamant about getting back at the guys who kidnapped him. Yeah. That he's just like, I'm going to build all sorts of awesome, like, swords and weapons for you guys so that you can kick the shit out of him. Yeah. (laughs) Respectfully, Dynafire. Yeah, he he forged a sword for an emperor who, like, 
very few samurai, let alone peasants, yeah. can say that they have, like, gifted something to an emperor that they have used. Yeah. And the fact that Zutaka, before he became C. Zutaka, forged a sword that Hante the 16th used, mm-hmm. uh, it's wild, right? If you look at the, again, the culture and the things that are going on there. <laughs> I was just looking at the snake clan that was like, yeah, we were on our own. Then we joined the spider clan. Then we said, fuck the spider clan. And now we're on our own again. <laughs> oh, the, the heavy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, I feel like there's a lot of politics you can utilize when it comes to minor clans. Because I feel like all clans within Rokugan are either trying to make something of themselves, provide a service to the empire that no one else can provide, um, and then make a name for themselves, right? That's like the goal of a family in Rokugan. Yeah. Like you either bring honor to your great clan. Mm-hmm. Or you do something worthy of you being given your own family. Yeah. Right? Any other final thoughts on any of the clans we talked about today and or minor versus major clans? Dragon Clan, best clan. Dragon Clan is best clan. <laughs> <laughs> like, not, not to try and, like, pull anybody away from discovering any or all the clans, but what you will notice from people who are in love with the setting is that they will always try and push you towards the thing that they love the most. Um, anybody who comes to me is like, oh, which clan should I play? My first reaction will be, well, there is an easy way to figure that out. Here's a little test. Here's a little test. And I administer the test, and then I give you all the best information. But if one of those clans happens to be dragon, I'll be like, oh, dragons are sweet. You should play dragons. (laughs) Every time. Without fail. Yeah. Now, I ended up in dragon the first time, and then my whole campaign ended up being phoenix. And then I was like, hmm, I like the phoenixes. It's okay. No judgment. Yeah. No, it's okay. So that's all for today's episode in this series of Legend of the Five Rings. Make sure to like and comment with which of the great clans you would like to play in your first, second, third, or fifth game of L5R. Don't forget to follow or subscribe because in the next episode we will finish our exploration of the great clans in the Emerald Empire. For more info and details, please check the show notes. When you're resolved from the beginning, you will not be perplexed. This understanding extends to everything. Be resolved, young samurai, and tell the world what you have witnessed here today. <laughs>